0: Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves, to overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Welcome, everyone. We are getting new listeners every week. Thank you for being here. If you would like to know more about me and why I started this podcast, please check the archives for the introductory episode. It's called episode 000. You can see that by looking on my blog as well, www.aboutprogress.com, and click on the podcast tab at the top. You can also see me on Instagram at progress. I know we are all super busy this time of year, so I want to thank each one of you who are making this podcast part of your daily chores, walks, wrapping of gifts, or even dental visits like my sweet friend, Juliana. I love hearing from you, and I love seeing what you are up to while listening, so please tag me at About Progress Podcast and share what you are doing. I want to get right to it today because I have a beautiful interview to share. I'd say that the women who I have interviewed thus far are currently pursuing successful careers alongside their passions and their families. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from them and learning from their struggles as I have. Today, I am sharing one woman's story who decided success would look different for her. This woman is Aubrey Greenan. Aubrey is a little too humble about herself, so let me just brag on her behalf ahead of sharing her interview. Aubrey is an extremely talented opera singer. She trained classically through Carnegie Mellon, a liberal arts college back east to whose vocal program only nine people eventually made it through. Aubrey's fellow graduates are opera and Broadway stars, and Aubrey, although she'll never say it, very easily could have been one of them. But when anxiety forced her to slow down and her heart pulled her a different direction, she chose to leave the path to fame behind and instead eventually became a stay-at-home mother. Aubrey shares all of this and how she learned to move toward a work that held her heart, the work of her family. Here's our interview together. I am here with Aubrey Greenan. Hello, Aubrey. Hi! I know some of our listeners who are listening know you very well, but I want you to tell everyone who doesn't know you some more about yourself.
1: Sure! So, I'm an almost Mm 31-year-old, mother of three. I'm a classically trained opera singer. I teach voice lessons. I choreograph children's theater, and I love refinishing furniture and decorating and exercising and daydreaming and I think most of all, trying to learn to be a good mom, like my life goal. Yes. (laughs) So
0: I just had my third I have a five-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and a a new baby boy. And he's just, I mean, he's like less than a month old, isn't he? Yeah, he's fresh. He's four weeks old. You are incredible. He's he's keeping me
1: up at night and all day, but he, you know, smells like a newborn and is cuddly, so it's worth it.
0: Aubrey, you have so many gifts and talents, but I want to talk about your incredible voice and I want to know when did you start singing? So, I actually started singing in kindergarten oh, wow. and my
1: teacher, I love to sing and my teacher um, kind of like took my parents aside and said, you know Aubrey really sings like the sing and she actually can sing on pitch and a lot of the kids can't sing on pitch yet and you might want To get her singing and so that was kind of like the first tip-off that my parents had yeah that I was going to sing and um, then I started singing at church a lot I think the first time I performed really was at church for a baptism when I was like eight Mm. Um, and my neighbor across the street was in my congregation and she um, played piano and she's played piano for me from age eight until like still today oh, wow. so she would play for me and I would sing um and we would work on songs together and we're you know a good team so that that was kind of where I started performing really was church and then I started doing children's choir when I was probably nine and I did that you know all through school and did all the choirs and all the musical things I could
0: so did you do private lessons as well
1: so I didn't do private lessons until I was a junior in high school. So that was when I really started doing private voice. Um, and up until that point, I had just done choral music. And so I was a little behind for, mm-hmm. you know, going to school because a lot of people had started private voice really early. Um, so I did have some catching up to do. So you were um, um, in college. It seems like you you taught yourself then. Yeah, a lot. And I think I think choir is a really good foundation for kids, um for for singing because it doesn't push your voice. You're not singing like too mature of music at a young age. Yeah. It kind of protects your voice and it still exposes you to languages and stuff. Um so I think I think choir was a good thing. I would have if I could go back in time I'd probably start private voice a little earlier.
0: Yeah.
1: Um but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of just um, singing with other kids, performing at church was a big thing.
0: So, how old were you when you thought about pursuing singing professionally? So, when I
1: was about to enter my junior year in college, I had um, the opportunity to work with a choir director who had studied um, classical voice at one of the top schools, and she pulled me aside um, and said, you know, I don't know if you've ever considered it. I still remember the conversation like I can picture us there because I don't know why. These are things I hadn't thought about. And she said, I don't know if you've thought about pursuing music professionally, but it's something that I really believe you could do. And she said, if you want to do that, I'd like to help you, you know, get where you need to be. And it just kind of hit me then that I I don't think I'd ever really seen that in myself, that it could become something bigger. I just like to sing, you know, and Mm -hmm. I like to have fun, and singing's fun, and so I'm, you know, I'm always for a good time, so I think I was just thinking of it as a fun activity, and she kind of opened my eyes, like, in that moment too, that it could be something bigger, and I always think that's something I'd love to do for someone someday. It's just like Show them how much bigger their talent is than they can see, yeah. but it was really amazing, and so um she started teaching me privately and preparing me for college auditions and we really you know I kind of had to play catch up because I wasn't as polished or prepared as um I probably should have been at that age um, but just I think having someone believe in me went a long way and as like a side story. it had a lot of thyroid problems in, in high school, and um, they really can affect, like, your brain function. And so my grades, which had always been really good, had just, like, tanked. And so I went from having A's and B's to C's and D's, and it was really my way to get into school yeah. through music. And so I was really grateful for that. And that way, you know, I don't know where I would have ended up without having that as a way to get my education
0: so you said you were you were a junior in high school or was it college that in high school so it was a high school director who opened your eyes to the possibilities of your future so that encourager Mm -hmm. and then oh man I love that you told us it was your pathway to to college too it it was your pathway to your future Yeah, and I had always, you know, as a younger kid, I'd always
1: been really, like, shining in school and achieving. And so when I went through that medical issue and Mm -hmm. I couldn't rely on my grades really reflecting my success anymore, it Mm -hmm. really was, like, a saving thing to have, you know, that talent and that outlet. And I know my parents had, when I was sick, had considered, you know, taking me out of choir and kind of just, like, um allowing me some more time to rest yeah. and they decided, you know, no, this is like her joy. We, you know, we got to mm-hmm. let her keep doing it. And then it ended up being, you know, really the path to where my life took me through college. So.
0: So what was your thyroid issue? So I had Graves. Well, I have Graves disease. It's
1: an mm-hmm. autoimmune disorder. So mm-hmm. um, just like any autoimmune disorder, your body attacks, Itself and so my body attacked my thyroid. Mm -hmm. Your thyroid gland affects a lot of different organs, Um, but it's mostly like the things that just in layman's terms, like it would affect my metabolism so my metabolism was like nine times faster than a normal person um it affected my heart rate so a lot of times people if it's unchecked they can have like serious heart problems I had some like heart palpitations and stuff and um and basically my body was just burning through all of its energy and and food um so I would be eating like teenage boy and I was losing weight and losing hair and you're losing muscle. Mm. Um, so it was, it was really, it was an interesting thing to go through just like having your body become weak. And luckily it's a very treatable issue. And Mm so, um, once I was on medication, um, to put it into remission, it was, um, easy for me to like get, healthy and get my muscle back and kind of get back to my normal self but it was it was an interesting kind of mysterious disease at first before we knew it was wrong
0: and does Graves disease affect your voice
1: you know I didn't
0: really um
1: notice at the time any like I don't I don't think it affected it positively or negatively it wasn't make my voice ugly or anything mm-hmm. but um it did make my range a lot lower it can affect the range of your voice and so I was really a low alto in high school and by the time you know we had gotten it all worked out and I'd been on medication for a couple of years I my voice my range became a lot higher but I could sing some really low soulful songs
0: as a teenager so in high school that director opened your eyes to what your future could entail and then you had to start working towards going to a liberal arts college and that was your path right Mm Hmm. so what did you have to do to get to that point what daily habits were part of your life that enabled you to enter the liberal arts school that you were trying to attend and and all that so we started working right away towards auditions. I think that was the first, you know,
1: thing. We had a calendar of all the schools we were going to audition for. I was going to audition for um, with her help, and um, we started giving music together, repertoire. We had to do recordings. Um, a lot of the schools have you send in an initial recording, um, and then they decide if they want to see you in person or not. Um, And I started working um, more on classical voice technique, which is a little different than singing choral music, although I really do think that was a good foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, Working on my stage presence, working on diction, um, I didn't have any of the classical language experience at that point so she was basically just telling me oh this is how the Italian sounds this is how the French sounds this is how the German sounds and I would just imitate her um and um I was kind of playing catch-up because the auditions you know you're you're starting to prepare um for those auditions and then you audition your senior year so I was Um, really trying to make up for lost times. Um, a lot of my friends and my peers in college had started, you know, voice at 12 or 10. So I was a little behind in that respect, but, um, but I think just a lot of practice. Um, I think being a little naive probably helped me too, Mm -hmm. um, because I was at that point kind of a big, big fish in a small pond. Yeah. So, you know, some of that dreaming and, you know, thinking I'm doing a great job was <laughs> good. Whereas looking back after a couple of years of school and I, I would look back and think, Oh, I was, you know, so behind in the beginning. Um,
0: so what is, what but, was the liberal art college that you attended?
1: So I went to Carnegie Mellon university, which, um, it's an amazing place. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a melting pot of engineers and um, singers and actors and business people and smarty pants is, <laughs> of all sorts. Um, it's, it's a really neat place, um, but they have a conservatory setting within the university, so for all of the Um, performing arts kids, you really get a conservatory education, which means there's limited um, requirements outside of your field. Mm We're mostly doing um, classes that really pertain to our profession. So we're taking Italian and French and um, German and taking English diction classes, taking theory, piano, rhythm classes, sight reading classes, um, dance, acting, musical theater, um, intensives on different um, types of music. And um, so it was really like you were being immersed in this um, musical world all day, every day for hours
0: and hours and hours. So that um, was a conservatory that it seems like it was really hard to get in it was, and you know, I think I was
1: really lucky I mean along the way i in retrospect, I see these specific teachers who saw potential in me um that I think really at the time i hadn't I hadn't really blossomed as a singer and they saw it and and another one of those teachers, you know, both my high school director and then When I was um, going to auditions, I had um, a a teacher who um, worked with me. It's traditional to, when you go to an audition, to sometimes have um, a lesson with one of the professors there so you can see what the school would be like. And so I had um, a lesson with a professor there, Mimi Lerner, and... um, She, I think, just really liked me. I was a little more relaxed in my lesson than I was in my audition. And I think, um, so she saw me in that lesson and then she was rooting for me through, through my audition and, um, and I really had a good feeling of that audition. And I saw that, um, you know, she was going to be someone who, who, who believed in me. And, um, and so, you know, I got in by some miracle, (laughs)
0: I'm sure it wasn't a Mainly her, I think. And, you know, you spoke about um, your setbacks of your your Graves' disease, and you spoke about being really far behind your peers who were also auditioning for these really, um, for the small space in this conservatory. What other setbacks did you face in your path to pursue sinking? Um, I
1: think, you know, first and foremost it's just that I was behind at that point um, I didn't really know what was going to be expected of me what expected of me once I got to university level um, but I think also um, you know my my inability to see my own potential I think that's you know why it was so important that there were others who kind of helped push me along the way because I don't think I would have Um, believed in myself to that extent on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think sometimes still that kind of disbelief in my own potential could stand in my way. Um, Especially, you know, being surrounded by so many incredible and talented people. Um, It was hard to see that I was good too and I was talented too, you know. And when you're young and you're comparing um, I remember still like going to my auditions and feeling like I had really changed from the big fish in the small pond to you know just just a tiny tiny fish mm-hmm. <laughs> around all these really really polished kids, especially you know from the East Coast where they'd been performing you know and um. Like, they'd already, you know, been performing in 50 shows by the time they, they got to school and they were seemed very polished, and a lot of the programs on the East Coast are um, uh, a little more rigorous than what we have on the West Coast, I'm sorry to say, for for kids, especially yeah, with the that. school systems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I felt, you know, behind in those ways, and... um. Oh, gosh. Some of the classes were just, I felt completely out of my depth. The music Mm -hmm. theory classes, the piano classes. um, I felt, you know, really lost in those classes. And I finally had to learn to, like, bury my pride and ask for help. (laughs) Um, And um, just, you know, the the stress. And I think... um, the pressure of being in a conservatory setting sometimes was really exhausting, I would say.
0: Well, how many people were in your actual class when you started? So when I started, there were 20
1: people in my class in my um, program for classical voice. And by the end of our freshman year, there were nine of us. So, yeah, there were a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> so How that kind of gives you, that gives you a picture. a picture of um what it was like. Um wow. you know, I don't know. I know for for the drama program, I know they say that they they let in one percent of the applicants and I think it was maybe a little oh. broader for us, but um a little broader, maybe three
0: <laughs> percent. <laughs> That's but, amazing. You know,
1: but you know when you look at the initial auditions by video, and then the amount of kids that they let in to audition, and then what really ends up being the class—it's um, a really long vetting process, I guess. And they they get down to a small group. Yeah, so there were twenty of us, and then by the end of the year there were nine, and that was a little stressful to see some people couldn't make it through it was too stressful and some people were um kindly asked to leave the oh, program mm-hmm. so um so you definitely felt like in my head the next one on the chopping block yeah you always felt <laughs> that way um you know I after the first year I really did and I remember after mm-hmm. the first year I had like a little yellow notepad and it was the summer before my sophomore year in college. And I wrote down everyone, all 20 names, and then I crossed out the 11 that were gone. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at the list, and I was, like, staring at the list, and then I was like, okay, I need to write down all the things that I need to do to not get crossed off mm-hmm. this list. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think that's when I really... That fear of, you know... Losing this opportunity really pushed me to learn how to work, I think, Mm. Um, and so that's kind of when I decided to really put on my big girl pants and get to work and do anything I, I could to improve and hang on and, you know, finish those four years.
0: So I imagine the peers in your program had to have been very passionate people and driven and maybe intense. Was that the case for you? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think that Tell us I I think about think that, that. Would be the case. Yeah.
1: You know, I think that would be the case in any such program, you know, I, I, I'm sure that you know, as performers, I think we live up to certain stereotypes a little bit, and mm-hmm. it was a really emotionally vulnerable, um, strong-spirited, um, roller coaster ride full of people. Mm-hmm. I would say, including myself. Um, and so, as much as we, you know, got along, there were. There were some really emotional times. There were, um, there was infighting for sure because there was nine of us, you know, and and we spent most of our waking hours together every day. Yeah. So, um, so there were some interesting dynamics. I think our class did a pretty good job of not really competing at least on the surface with one another. But of course I think under the surface, there was always that feeling that, um, you know, we all, we all wanted to be the best, right. We're mm-hmm. all super competitive. And so, you know, as, as, kind as we were, we all wanted to be on top. I think yeah. maybe that's just me. No, I'm sure it was everyone. <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, it's a, a competitive and emotional and big personality. It just, group of people so it was it was definitely an interesting social experiment put us together for like nine hours a day
0: so what about how did that affect you then while you're going through this intense program you know it was tiring and I um I think the biggest thing was
1: um it was exhausting and they really um our teachers our professors they asked a lot of us and and i think it was appropriate because that's what that profession requires um but it was you know tiring and um we we would have a full day of class from 8:30 to 3 or 4:30 and then we'd be expected to practice for 2 hours in the studio um on our own and then we might have rehearsal until midnight um, so it was it was really tiring and I um, there were times that I let myself get too exhausted and I um, struggled with anxiety I think just from the sheer exhaustion mostly you know that you, you can't run on empty forever um, and the you know the pressures from everyone wanting you to succeed and perform. Um, it was tiring. The school, so Carnegie Mellon's like mantra, its um, motto is "My heart is in the work," mm. and people often talked about how that's kind of like a double-edged sword because yeah. um, the climate at the school you know it's very successful people are very driven and really our hearts really were all in the work right but Mm -hmm. um but when you're working all the time you can definitely run yourself ragged and I think um that was an issue there and it was part of the school culture um people just running themselves to their limit Mm. um so, I did that you know, as well sometimes, and I think i I've had to learn what my limits are.
0: Hmm. Was there a distinct moment for you during the program where you had to face your limits and make a decision about how you were going to go? Oh absolutely i think um, I think it was
1: in my sophomore year we were we were asked to um do uh, program that's put on by the students and it took up a lot of our extra time and we didn't have a lot of extra time and I really think I um exhausted myself and there were you know within the class I feel like there was a lot of fighting people were emotionally raw because we were up all night preparing this preparing this performance while also you know going to class all day and trying to um to make it through and I think i that was really a time when I pushed myself beyond my own depth, and I became too exhausted. I became really anxious um, and I had to stop and take care of myself and I had to address my anxiety and I had to address my self care which I hadn't you know been thinking about
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and kind of slow down a little bit
0: was it a lot of um was it a lot of fear about you performing well and measuring up? Was it a lot of racing thoughts? What did that anxiousness look like? You know, it was a lot of
1: racing thoughts. Um, I've I've always had like a little performance anxiety before I perform, but I think that's kind of good to get you going, like that little bit of a spark um, that, that makes you want to do a good job. If you don't have any fear when you perform, then you're not going to, do your best work because if you don't care, then what's the point? You know, Mm -hmm. you, you don't come out there with that energy. So I think that there's a little bit of a, a rush that, um, that adrenaline that allows you to perform. And I, I welcome that, but I do think, um, it was more that after all of that, that rush and that racing around and, um, the laundry list of things that I needed to do that I couldn't, you know, mm. turn off my mind and slow it down in the quiet times. Um, yeah. And so I think that was, you know, being able to be, have moments of slowness and moments of quiet. It's something I really require and I, you know, it's something I had to learn to give myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that the, the, Um, stress from school kind of, um, probably did a little bit trigger the anxiety just because my mind was racing for a reason when I was at school. Right. But then I get home to my apartment and it, I wouldn't, I couldn't turn it off.
0: Um, I want to know about what your goals were when you started this program, where did you see it taking you? Where did, where did you want to end up? So I
1: feel like I always had a couple of different timelines in my mind. I could see a couple paths in front of me and I always could. I always saw them. I'm, um, I don't think I've ever been one to just, you know, think I'm going to be like, the star of the Met, you know, and just, there's nothing else for me, you know? No. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I was never thinking like that, but I saw a couple of paths and one of them was that I would perform classically, professionally, and that for me would require, you know, finishing undergrad and getting my master's and um, doing young artist programs. And then eventually performing in opera and performing contract by contract, which um, is kind of the reality of a young opera singer. So you might get a contract huh. to go do a role and study it and go to Kentucky and perform in their opera and go to San Francisco and perform. Or
0: So what made you go towards um, classically trained instead of musical theater? You know, I think it was, it really goes back to
1: my training in choir that I was um, singing more classical music growing mm-hmm. up um, because our the children's choir that I was involved in, we do a lot of really traditional music. And so a lot of art songs, a lot of um, classical songs from different cultures. And so we're exposed to a lot of language and a lot of older music Um And it kind of lends itself more to that classical sound. I was never, like, belting out Mm -hmm. Broadway tunes growing up. And I'm really not a belter. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, I did see the possibility when I was in college. And one of those other paths that I saw um, for myself was performing musical theater. And some of my teachers from the drama school, that was what they really wanted for me. And I had a teacher who said, you know, you should just, you know, finish school here um, and go to New York and you can use me as your representative, like your agent, if you want auditions. And, um, so that was definitely tempting as well. Although, you know, I think looking back, it's something I could have done, but I don't think I, I don't think I was confident enough to do it at that age. Mm
0: -hmm. So for your peers, is that where they were headed? Were they headed towards performing in operas? Was that a similar plan for them?
1: You know, most of, at least my
0: class, most of them are performing
1: in opera now, Mm -hmm. Um, although in classes past, some of the students went on just exclusively to do musical theater. Mm -hmm. Um, The program definitely pushes opera, although they, you know, give you a really excellent education in musical theater, and we have fantastic acting classes so Hmm. I feel like it's there's an opportunity to do both coming from that
0: so when you were nearing the end of your training did you come to a point where you had to decide I'm going to go big with this or I I'm going to be a little bit more balanced what was that like for you
1: so I think I think I always I always knew I wanted to be a mother first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it wasn't a secret. I saw, you know, my friends would joke, Oh, you're you're gonna be the cute mom, you know. Um, even my perform performer friends they knew that, that I loved kids, you know, any kid we would see. Um I love family and So that was big for me. And I knew in the back of my mind that when that opportunity arose, that the other things were going to be secondary. Um, Because more than anything, family has always been just huge and paramount for me. Um, And I remember I was, um, I was at my um, private voice teacher's house. She, was fabulous. She was 83 years old and she had um, performed at the Met for 25 years. She'd had this 25 year career um, and she's so glamorous still at 83. Mm -hmm. She would wear these huge necklaces and she um, was always completely made up and she had this really deep and dramatic voice. And she was like, you know, something out of like, like some wonderful 1950s movie. She just, had all of the grace, um, and she had this really awesome apartment and she would have us all over for the studio party, um, once a year. And so she had us over and she had this, um, she had this great meal, you know, she had German family and she had some like stroganoff meal and she has like all of her time out and she's sitting at the table with us. And then after she had us all sit down in the sitting room and she brought out um, the photos of when she was performing. And um, I don't know why this makes me so emotional, this story, but um, she brought out all of her like glamour shots and she was just gorgeous, you know, and the pictures of her in these full gowns or in her big fur and in her costumes from the Met and, It was just amazing, you know, and she looked at all of us and she said, "Um, I want you to know that, and I think she's kind of referring, you know, with all of this, all this that you see, like all these pictures that my children are my best work.
0: Hmm.
1: And I remember just tearing up there because the program was so career driven and our school was so career driven and the work was so career driven and always in my heart and in the back of my mind, I knew that more than anything, I wanted to have a family and I felt like that was almost a little embarrassing in that environment. Yeah. Um, and so I felt so validated in that moment and I felt so much truth in that, you know, that, everything else kind of falls away. Um, And that, you know, family is so lasting. And I think that really affirmed for me that, that, you know, that was what I wanted most of all, ironically, for my teacher who's pushing for me to have this um, major career. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in that one moment, I felt like she really gave me a gift, and you know, validating that one want that I really had, um, and so you know, I think that really helped me to prioritize. That really showed me, you know, I love to sing; it's a passion, but. For me, singing, I don't really care who I'm singing for. I don't care the size of the audience or what my costume is. For me, it's really the joy of singing, and that's something I can do, you know, anywhere, anytime. Um, It's not about the big arena for me, I guess.
0: So in that moment, were you at a crossroads in your personal life about trying to make a decision? I think, you know, I think so,
1: because I think being in that environment where, um, where success is so, you know, the ultimate, you know, having that career success is, is, is just everything anybody around you wants, um, and wants for you, um, that I started to question what I wanted for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm a little bit easily swayed by my environment and you have, you know, every teacher and every peer telling you, you know, performing is what you want. Then you go, yes, it is (laughs) after a while. Um, so, so I do think it, it would definitely was freeing, and it, it definitely came at a time where I needed it. Um, because it could be confusing, you know, um, being in that world and um, where everyone wants the same thing, to know what you really want.
0: So what was the decision you eventually made? Where did you take your so, career? So...
1: So I decided to, you know, continue to pursue things and pursue my education um, as long as it worked with family. Um, And I ended up um, marrying my husband and realizing that I did want to have kids young and that um, that was more important to me than continuing an intense professional career, Mm -hmm. and so I decided, you know, to um, at least put a hold on those things while I'm having young kids um, and kind of make a world for myself where I can still sing and perform um, in a way that um, allows me still to be home and um, be present with my children.
0: So what does that look for you now? So, you know, it's interesting. I feel like
1: it, um, I like what it is now and some things were kind of thrust upon me and I, um, I feel like it was good. I feel like I didn't realize how much I would need to continue performing. And then, um, some opportunities were kind of doors were open for me, um, I remember I did one show before I had my first son, and I was actually pregnant with him at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a great time, and I didn't know if I would continue performing after that, and I didn't know if I'd continue teaching after I had him. Um, But I had a director approach me to do another show after he was born, and I think that was good for me because it, Showed me that I, you know, still could perform and be a mom. Um, I had people approach me to teach their kids, and I feel like that was wonderful for me because it, you know, showed me I could still teach and be a mom. And um, it's been hard for me to learn to be um, to be present in my in my teaching or my performing, um, and not feel guilty about not being with the kids and yeah. then when I'm with the kids to be present with them and not be distracted by the things I need to do to teach and perform. Um, so finding that balance um, has been one of the biggest learning experiences for me, but I feel like I'm figuring some things out yeah. as far as you really being in the moment in both of those experiences. Um But, um, yeah, that's what it looks for me. It looks like for me now. There's, you know, days where I teach and I bring the kids along, um, and I also didn't realize how, how neat that would be for them to be exposed in that way to what I love.
0: So I know you're, um, you're being a little humble. So I'm going to be the friend that says all the amazing things you are doing on (laughs) You know, with your voice, you have performed in the Lamb of God um, in Oakland, which is, it is a life-changing production. It's changed my life. Um, Tell us the parts you have played in the Lamb of God. So I have had the opportunity to be the Lamb of God, I think, four
1: times. I think that's how many. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've performed as Mary, the mother of Jesus, Um, which is what I would consider the lead female role as Mm -hmm. well as Martha. Um, and I love both of those roles. Um, Mary, the mother, kind of from a dramatic standpoint, I love it as an acting, um, exercise and Martha vocally, her, um, aria is incredible, and yeah. a lot of fun to sing, um, and that's been a wonderful experience. And we've gotten to sing in some really neat places, and um, it really is a great production
0: and huge audiences. It's it's a big deal. Um, if people haven't heard of it, it's a very big deal, especially where we are. And you know, you all you also sing up at the LDS Temple. You've had your own vocal recitals up there that um, have been really wonderful to see you know there's so many things you you are doing but I I have wondered though for you do you ever have those moments where you think huh what would what would have been like if I had gone the fame route? Yes. <laughs> yeah that makes me feel I better. absolutely Tell do. me about that. So
1: you know and it's it's um nice to have a husband who is such uh, lover of the arts mm. um, because I think he can a little bit understand um, that the sacrifice of um, you know why it's hard for me to look back at what could have been I think he understands because he he really appreciates the arts but um, I think one of the one of the times that's really hard for me is when we go see a show and um, when we see a show that's touring and I look at the cast and I think I could have absolutely done that, you know, or I'll, I'll hear someone and think I, you know, I, I, I'm not good. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm one to think I'm the best or anything, but I, I definitely know what level, you know, is my level. And I'll hear someone and go, no, I could sing that. I could be up there singing that. And so, um, there have definitely been some some tears shed at shows. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, you know, look over at my husband and say, I love this so much, but it's also painful for me to see, you know, what I could have done.
0: Mm. Sorry, that's something that I feel, too, about a lot of different things that you let go of. That's such a yes, hard absolutely. choice to make. What, what I know. gives you perspective? It, you said your husband is, it's helpful to have both sides of the coin there, but what else has given you some perspective you know, in those moments?
1: You know, what helps me really is knowing myself and knowing my limits. And I do have friends who are able to maintain relationships and even um, have kids while performing, but I don't think that I have the capacity to to juggle all of those things at that level I don't think I would have been able to have my cake and eat it too I don't think I could have handled performing at that level while having the family I wanted so I really did have to make a choice Yeah. Um. and everyone has their limits and some people's are greater you know some people can can do it all but I knew that I couldn't do it all so I chose the part that I felt was what I really wanted and what I felt was the better part for myself you know
0: do you think there is a time in this season for this for you meaning oh um, with your career like maybe it would be something you can still pursue in the future
1: absolutely and I think um I kind of feel like I'm um, open to the universe and God and whatever whatever is going to open those doors, um, and I think you know when it's time. I think you. I think sometimes those doors are open for you when it's time. Opportunities arise. I see even um, with the kids, the doors that have opened for me to perform mm-hmm. even locally. Um, I feel like. They were open for a reason, and um, it made me feel confident in pursuing those activities and those um, opportunities, and I think as the kids get bigger, if, you know, other doors are open, I will, you know, walk through them, Mm -hmm. Um, but always knowing my own personal limits and what I can handle, you know, going back to... Um, that time when I was in school and I think I pushed myself a little too far. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's about pacing myself a little bit too. Mm-hmm.
0: So knowing what's best for you in this very season of your life. And sometimes that entails putting some dreams aside so you can pursue the ones that matter to you more for this moment. And I, and I love that about you, Aubrey, because fame is, oh, it's sparkly. (laughs) You know, it's attractive. It's, it's what our world seems to revolve around. And you could have so easily gone that route and had the encouragement to do that. But I think for you, I love that you knew yourself and your heart and what would be best for you. And and then until acknowledging the limits that you felt like you needed to have in your life. So what obstacles have you faced in your life that helped view yourself and how you were talking about acknowledging what you need? You talked about having, you need self-care, you need time, you need balance, you need to prioritize. What obstacles taught you that?
1: I think, you know, my experiences with anxiety have definitely shown me my limits both in college and being a parent you know that um I am a person who likes to say yes and I would like to do everything
0: (laughs) to do it all
1: um and learning that that's not always the best thing for me um has really helped to shape me as as a person and I think make me um a little more effective in the pursuits that I you know really go for um, i'm not I'm not someone who can do everything as much as I'd like to pretend I can yeah. <laughs> I think also you know and I think also um, you know having health issues and as a teenager, I think having those problems with my thyroid and having my body kind of um, fall apart on me I think it Showed me um, a, a vulnerable part of myself, and that as something I had to. It was something I had to get over. You know, I think all obstacles kind of refine us and take the edges off of us, and that was definitely one that did. Um, I think <laughs> I hate to call it an obstacle since it's, you know, the one ultimate thing that I wanted, but I think having children has really shaped me in a way I could have never expected.
0: Um,
1: and I think, um, children really have a way of holding a mirror up to you and showing you all of your flaws through Mm -hmm. them and through (laughs) your failures, um, Mm. in raising them. And I think that has really shaped, shaped my view. Um, definitely being in such a rigorous program, um, as far as my education shaped me, um, taught me how to work and, um, really dig in my heels and be a little more determined and have a little more grit than I naturally have.
0: I have a few more questions for you. And one of them was, I wanted to talk about perfectionism. When you think yes. about I think of of perfectionists, you know, and in many ways that's your job. Your passion is being perfect, you know, as perfect as you can in, in what you're doing. Um, and I'm sure that was a big part of the anxiety you faced that you mentioned. Um, but I want to know going forward in your life, is that something that you have still had to, um, that you've had to think about often or, try to balance out that side to you that might that is still a part of who you are
1: yes I think that is um a wonderful question because I think it's true I think there is a a a perfectionism aspect to performers um and I think I fit the bill there um and I do think it has to do with with the anxiety and the emotional vulnerability that comes with being a performer as well. Um, And to really try to find control, there's um, a desire for perfection. Um, Mm. And that's why I think in part, it's really satisfying to perform because you have a director who has this vision. um, And if you meet, his or her expectations, then you're reaching some sort of perfection and you feel a little more in control um, and being on stage, it's a really controlled environment. you know if you did everything you're supposed to you know if you had you know it's a little easier to be perfect on stage than in real life um, yeah. but I think you know it has followed with me, and it has been something I've had to deal with um, every day you know mm. I think um. I have a desire to appear perfect yeah. um, going through having kids and I have a little more weight gain than is recommended every time. And I think um, I'd never had issues with my physical appearance until I was, you know, 60 pounds heavier than normal. Mm-hmm. And um, that desire to get back to my, what I consider personal perfect, body. Um, um, the first time, especially, I felt a lot of pressure. Um, in my home, I think having everything presented perfectly. I've had to really let go of that, especially as my kids get messier and bigger, um, because I have this Pinterest vision of what I'd like my perfect home to look like. Yeah. Um, and I think even, you know, um, your kids, my kids, being an extension of myself, being able to let go of the idea of them being perfect as a reflection of me, you know, and all mm-hmm. kids are going to have their outbursts and behave in ways that you find totally embarrassing yeah.
0: <laughs> sometimes
1: yes. in public and letting go of that perfection. Um, I think my kids have taught me more than any other life experience in and letting go of, you know, a lot of my demons, but especially that idea of perfection. Um, And really, um, just because having small children is messy and crazy and completely unpredictable and um, not something that you can control perfectly.
0: (laughs) I love that you said that it that it forced you to face that side to you though and, and learn how to let go of, of that.
1: Yeah. I, I think I look back to, you know, five or 10 years ago and I would have never left the house without my hair done and makeup on and a nice outfit and a clean house, mm-hmm. you know, and a, and a, perfect track record from of life you know I was trying to achieve as much as possible um and in the messiness of parenthood and life and um you know I look back to my husband and I when we were poor students together all that messy has really forced me to let go of a lot of my perfectionism but I you know I still have to fight it of course yeah because who doesn't want to be perfect
0: (laughs) yeah who doesn't but the thing I love about you and I think that makes the difference is being aware of it and and talking um back to it and you know realizing what your limits are and owning those that's hard to do if you I feel like I'm still am a perfectionist because that's hard for me to admit but on the other hand I also don't want to live a different way (laughs) and go crazy It's true. So I have two more questions for you. The first, you talked about your conservatories, um, or the whole college, your whole college. Is it a motto? Mm-hmm. Is that what you'd say? The motto is, my heart is in the work. And I feel that singing is still that for you. It still has your heart. So I want to know what singing means to you.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Um, I feel
1: like it's absolutely positively part of my spirit and who i am. Mm-hmm. um it's not just something I love to do. it's part of me um and I think no matter what my Um, vocal capacity, depending on, you know, when I was in school, I was so in shape and I was singing two or three hours a day. I was at my top vocal shape. And um, now I'm lucky if I get to sing every once in a while while the kids are running around. But no matter um, how my voice sounds, it's part of who I am and it's a joy of my life. And I can't imagine my life without music. It's kind of just like an extra limb. It's an extension of me.
0: And the last question I have for you is, I want to know what you have learned about yourself the past 10 years. Oh, I feel like in the past 10 years, I mean, and maybe it's just because it's so recent, but
1: I feel like I've learned more than, you know, all 31 put together. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like I've learned, have um, learned that I um, am a perfectionist, and I've learned to let go of some of that. I've learned um, that I have a little bit of a temper, and I've I've learned to let go of some of that. I've um, learned that I have limits, and um, mm-hmm. to take care of myself, I. I need my sleep. I need my exercise in the morning. I need routine, and those things make me feel safe and balanced and happy. Um, I've learned that um, love goes a long way in a family. Um, That um as far as raising my kids it's more about the process that we go through every day than performance um it's not about how my kids appear or i appear or my husband appear it's, it's about how we feel in our home um i've learned um You know, a little more about how to balance um, my passions, my talents with having a family and making um, both of those experiences a little more present, really being able to be in the moment um, wherever I am, whether it's with the family or um, rehearsing or whatnot that I and really there, and really enjoying, and not feeling guilty for not being in the other place. Mm. Um, that's something I've had to practice, I think. Um, and really learning that um, through motherhood, there are so many changes and seasons, and accepting all of them um, for what they are, and loving each season uh, a little more.
0: Aubrey, this was such a beautiful interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't you think Aubrey is that unicorn I mentioned in the beginning? She really is one of the most remarkable women I know. And the thing I hope you take away from what she talked about is the importance of acknowledging your limits, your heart's deepest desires, and owning what success looks like for you. If you'd like to share how this interview has impacted your life, I'd love to hear. You can post about it on social media and tag me using the hashtag about Progress podcast or even email me. You can see my contact information on my website. And please write me if you have someone in your life that you would like to nominate to be on the show. I'm always looking for men and women to interview. Next week, I'm sharing my chat with Lisa Shader. Lisa is that classic perfectionist who fell pretty hard into postpartum depression after the birth of her first son. She also had to learn how to alter what success looks like. Lisa is so brave about sharing her story, and plus she is one of the most knowledgeable women I know. She has so much information to share with you. You'll learn a lot from her, and I hope you'll join me in listening next Wednesday. As always, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast and share it with someone you love. As you meet with friends and family in the coming weeks, I hope to gain new listeners who could benefit from these stories. So if you have a perfectionist in your circle who could use some of this insight, direct them here. And thank you to the wonderful people who have already done so. And for those of you who have left reviews, they mean the world to me. And even if you don't subscribe or leave a review, you still mean the world to me. Thank you for listening and please take care of yourself.